Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we are here for yet another episode, and today I have with me really a new friend of mine, and I'm I'm uh, beyond excited, honestly, for this this interview with Oray Adeshina. Now, Oray, you were actually telling me just before we got started what your full name is, and it's really, really beautiful. Will you share that with our listeners? Yes, I go by Oray Adesina just for the most part. My full name is Oluwatola Adesina. It's it's beautiful, and you said that it's Nigerian as well. So, um, had, did you spend most? Or have you spent most of your life here in the states? Did you grow up in Nigeria? What? Tell us a little bit about your backstory. So, my parents and I moved from Nigeria to the U.S. when I was three. Initially, we moved to Vermont for my parents. They're both doctors, so they both attended um, schooling in Vermont, and then they decided to stay in the U.S. And the a long story, but we've lived in both Canada and the U.S. Uh, for different periods of my life growing up. And uh, do you have the opportunity occasionally to go back to Nigeria? Yes. When I was growing up, we started going back maybe about, about 12 years old. And so I've been back and forth between seven to 10 times since then, since I was about 12, I believe. Wow. Wow. I, you know, I've never had the opportunity to spend any time in Nigeria, unfortunately, and, and for that matter, Africa in general. But um, I will say that my, my probably strongest connection to Nigeria outside of my new friendship with you is uh, I had a soccer coach in high school who was Nigerian. And uh, he actually formerly played for the Nigerian national team. And he was one of my favorite coaches ever. Um, and not only the passion that he put into the job that he was doing as a coach, certainly the impressive skill level um, but the personality that he infused into that coaching job was just, it was absolutely wonderful. And hopefully one of these days I'll have the opportunity to to visit Nigeria. I have to say this at the outset, we're going to get more into your photography business and what specifically it is that you do here in just a little bit. But I've not had a photographer on our podcast, at least in some time anyway, that I've been this enamored by when it comes to their actual photography. Now, I shot weddings for about 10 years and I enjoy photography, but I'm, I'm a bit more of a, a kind of a business mind and entrepreneur. I like to create new businesses, and that's more of my, my passion, if you will. But occasionally, I'll come across photography or photographic work that just kind of blows my mind, and yours is, I'm, I'm just enamored by it. And so we're going to kind of get into both your photography and how you then approach that photography in order to get the imagery that you do in just a bit. But I really appreciate you coming on the show today. We normally start off these conversations with something that we call a technique for time or a tool for time. And very simply, uh, because this podcast and ultimately Photographer's Edit is very much about helping photographers get more time in their life. I'm curious if there is something that you do in your day-to-day or week-to-week workflow that enables you to have more time for yourself or more space just to, to invest time in those things that you particularly enjoy. I am... Sometimes I feel like I'm winging it, not going to lie to you. I would call this miracle for time. Sometimes <laughs> I for time. So I have a full-time day job. I am an attorney. 
So that, along with a part-time photography business, definitely means I need to know what I'm doing at all times. So for the most part, I know that I have maybe half an hour in the mornings just between getting ready for work and moving things about to do whatever I need to do, whether it be working on Instagram or Facebook or making posts in my boudoir VIP group. And then maybe 15 minutes at lunch to do something, quick emails back and forth with clients. And then I get home from work, have some dinner, and then I have uh, between seven to nine or seven to 10, depending on on my mornings to, to do work and be focused. So there is that focus time that I have that I just know if I don't do it in that time, it's not going to get done until the next evening. And then I do shoot primarily on the weekends, Saturday and Sunday. So that's when I have time to either shoot or edit or business stuff. Wow. Okay. So very simply, you don't have a choice but to make the best use of the available time. I mean, I I know as photographers and, and certainly for myself, even helping run photographers edit, I have a lot of flexibility in my day to day schedule. And I mean, certainly I can fill it up with various tasks. I mean, my to do list is forever long and I have various meetings and appointments and interviews and so forth. But um, it still has enough flexibility within it that if I'm not disciplined, it can kind of the time can get away from me. You're in a situation where you've got two essentially full time jobs that forces you to make the best use of your time. And I mean, would you would you say within that workflow when you have a few hours in the evening and then some time on the weekend, is there anything in particular that enables you to to move very, very quickly? I mean, something in particular that you do to manage email efficiently or the editing process more efficiently? What what helps you get it all done? Well, I um, have a client management system that I purchased. I used Dipsado from my management system. Yes. That has really helped organize all my um, information into one place. And I'm now working on um, putting all my information in there and logging it in so that I have a more of a workflow. I use Photo Mechanic, which thank God is available because I'm not (laughs) sure how I would do it otherwise. I mean, to kiss whoever made Photo Mechanic, they are amazing. So I use that. And then just systems in place. I, I have QuickBooks for my business stuff. And then at some point in the next couple of months, I would love to have a virtual assistant to help me and streamline so she can do more more in the back end while I'm either at work or shooting. That's my ultimate goal. Do you ever see yourself or foresee yourself going full time with photography and, and setting aside your career in law? Or do you just enjoy it that much that you want to run with that as well? So I I also have, have ADD. So I am a person that likes to have my hand in different things. So the job that I have as an attorney right now, I'm transactional. So I don't have to go to court. I don't have to do any litigation. That really helps. And the kind of work that I do is, is different. Like, I know this may not sound like familiar to a lot of people, but like I can do a condemnation. I can do an easement. I can do an, an easement review or an, or an equity transfer review. So that's different things. But if I want my, my, my mind wants to jump, it can jump. And so if I had to do just photography, even though it's different uh, genres, I'm not sure that that would be like enough for my mind. So having like the law for my business mentality, the photography for my creative artistry, I think it, it helps me now focused. 
So I think that's where I'm at right now in terms of where my mind is. I like that. You know, a lot of people talk about being workaholics, but what I'm hearing in in your description of, of ultimately the choice that you've made to maintain your law career and then also do photography is the significance of variety. Uh, you know, while while there may be certain tendencies that would be labeled ADD, I mean, I, I know that I even personally enjoy a certain amount of variety. The idea of doing the same thing all the time uh, can become quite monotonous. And uh, I'd like that you're taking on multiple, I mean, we, we'll call them projects for the sake of conversation right now, significant projects at that um, and having two careers for the sake of variety and the challenge and that thing that kind of continues to push you to keep going how in the world you're you're able to do that and produce simultaneously the type of work that you do is kind of mind-boggling to me. And again, we're going to get into that more detail here in just a bit. But if you do ever have a few minutes or maybe a few hours, say on the weekend, for example, just to sit back, relax for a second, what would you spend your time doing? So ironically enough, I used to have a food blog and I used to do food photography. I don't anymore, but I used to. And so I really love to uh, cook and bake. Like I, my, my workplace had a competition a couple of years ago for the best chocolate chip cookie. And I took that with like extreme passion. Like I would go to a library and I would print all the recipes. Yeah. I had a sheet of like what different ingredients were good and were bad. And um, I had one coworker, I put in almond extract and she took a bite of the cookie and she spit it out. Like, what is this? And I was like, okay, don't use almond extract in a cookie ever again. And so like that, that kind of thing, like that kind of passion. I mean, when I tell you I've had drunk proposals off of my cookies, they're pretty, they're pretty darn good. <laughs> so that's something that I like to do. I'm impressed. Okay. So would you say that would be your go-to thing? Like if you're going to make anything, would it be cookies or what's your favorite thing to, to cook or to bake? I will say that I one time made a caramelized onion, bacon, gruyere, balsamic or potato quiche um, with an almond flour crust. And I just winged it the first time. I took it to a party and it was, it was amazing, but I didn't write the recipe down. So now I'm trying to re- recreate it and I cannot <laughs> figure out how I made it. And so it's just my goal in life is to recreate the best quiche that I never, that I ever made. Oh man. Well, I mean, it already sounds amazing just with the description that the ingredients, but um, if you ever figure that recipe out again, I may have to, uh, <laughs> I may have to come visit you because that sounds really, really great. Well, it was. I, Tell us something else, maybe just kind of random that maybe most people wouldn't know about you just off the bat. I'm pretty much an open book. So it would be really hard pressed to figure out something they don't know about me. One just unique, like, I don't know, maybe talk about over a wine at a party is my brother and I have the same birthday. So we were born exactly a year apart. So I, t- I tell him all the time I'm the president. He never, the president, he never knew he wanted and he didn't want, but I'm still going to be here. <laughs> Are you are you pretty close with your brother? As close as we can be. We fought a lot growing up, but yeah. now that he has three kids and they're the cutest things I've ever seen in my entire life, yeah. then um, and I have to get you know I need to get into this house. I try to be a little bit nicer if I, <laughs> if I get access to them, but they're pretty adorable. I, you know, the, it is interesting to see how relationships can kind of evolve over the years. I have three younger brothers. And um, I, our relationships differ. Uh, we have different worldviews and different 
preferences, obviously, and and different personalities. Um, we all actually share an interest in motorcycles, and so in the last couple of years or so, it's been really wonderful to at least share one thing that we're all passionate about in common. Uh, we even share that with our dad as well, and so that's been really nice for the sake of relationships. But it's interesting to look back over the years and see how that relationship evolves. There's something about family though that I'm, I want, I would certainly personally like to continue to work at figuring out ways that I can connect with my family even more effectively than I already do. And uh, this has been something Mm -hmm. that's been kind of heavy on my mind as of late, but I I can't say that I share a birthday with any one of my siblings. So that is quite unique. (laughs) And, And I appreciate you sharing that totally different direction here. What's the most impactful book that you've read, even as of late? Maybe I know it's hard to pick the best of all time, maybe, but is there a particular book, fiction or nonfiction, that you've read even in the last few years that has really made an impact in your life? I can't think of one off the top of my head. I've been, I've been, I thought about it, but I really, the problem with me is that I can't really listen to one book at a time. Yeah. And so I currently have about maybe 15 to 20 books on Audible that I stop and start. And so it's just a matter of, you know, what book am I going to listen to in my drive home? I also have um, like the Kindle app as well for books to read. I also have my library app for books to read. So it's really like me listening to one book start to finish is just, I'm not, I don't think it's ever going to happen. Happen. <laughs> So I just have a lot, a lot of thoughts in my head from different books, but not like one book from start to finish. That makes sense. Is there a particular, I mean, you mentioned the thoughts. Is there a particular standout thought that or idea that grabbed your attention as of late when you're listening to these various books? I think that it was, it was not actually a thought, but it's a quote that I um, was um, listening to or reading about. Um, I think Ira Glass talks about like, wanting to be perfect in your craft and like doing things over and over again and looking at it and realizing it's not there, but you, you can see it, you, you can feel it, you know, you're close, but it's just not where you want to be. And that it just take, it takes years to, to have a craft that you, you know, you love and you care about. And so when I get frustrated with my craft right now, know that, you know, I can quit now and have nothing, or I can continue working harder and harder each day and get where I want to be. But it's a process. It's not a jump from A to B. It's more of a a journey or a walk. And Ira Glass is, is at least in my mind, most well-known as being the host of This American Life, a very very well-known radio show and podcast. But I didn't realize that he'd also written a book. Oh, I don't don't know if it was a book. It was was a quote. Okay. I'm not sure if it was a book or not. Um, There was a quote that stuck with me. And I I think about it a lot. When I'm I'm in a lot of party groups on, um, on Facebook, and so I see some amazing artists and amazing pieces and I wonder how I can get there. And I'm like, well, you know what? They've been shooting for many more years than you have. Mm. And so my strive for perfection can get the best of me a lot of times. And so I need to calm myself down a lot when it comes to that. Cause I'm very, I'm a perfectionist. And I, I have, I have called people that I've shot before and said, I don't like the way your shot, your shoot turned out. And they're like, no, we pictures are fine. I'm like, well, I don't think they're fine. So I'm going to reshoot you. Wow. And so for me, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty bad. So um, that's how I did calm myself down, and you know, make, it's a journey and a process, and not just a destination. Yeah, and I, I can very much relate to that. Um, I guess the struggle with that idea, because I think the idea holds a lot of truth to it, and yet. I I tend to be a perfectionist as well. A lot of that is the way that I was brought up and I want it right now. 
uh, versus right. giving it time to, to kind of simmer, if you will, and be okay with the idea that I have to continue to work at something. I'm, I'm definitely learning to embrace that more as of late. But this is really a beautiful segue into my next question, which has to do with how long you've been in business as a photographer. And I have to go ahead and mention that if your work, both on your Instagram account and your website, is any indication, you're you're well on your way to developing something that I feel is unique. It's really hard, honestly, to... to I mean, I look at Instagram, obviously, quite a bit these days, and Facebook and, and photographers' websites... And it's hard to find something that actually stands out that doesn't look like it was in one form or another simply copied from somebody else. And, and it, at the end of the day, it's hard to find something truly, truly unique, anything, quote, new under the sun, right? Um, but right. there is a certain sense that I get from your work that is that, that holds a level of rawness and originality that uh, just really grabbed my attention. And I first saw it. When we were at, you and I had the opportunity to meet actually at the, the cookout conference recently in Atlanta, and I think I just saw a picture pop up on screen. Somebody was getting ready for a presentation or was in the process of a presentation, and I was I was just captured uh, immediately. My attention was captured, and then I had to find out who that was that was photographing these images. And I think at the time they had your website pulled up, so I should go ahead and mention this now for our listeners. Just simply go to intimatelensstudio.com, just like it sounds. And of course, we'll link to this in the show notes at Boca Podcast, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com. And then your Instagram account, which I, I mean, these days, I think I'm liking the pictures so much that that's one of the first accounts that pops up in my in my feed. But um, in, yeah, in, Intimate Lens Studio is the Instagram account. Of course, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Just stunning, stunning work. But talk to us. We're going to get into to your process here in just a bit. But talk to us a little bit about the background. How long have you been in business as a photographer? And how did you even get into it in the first place? I've been shooting for about four or five years. And I, you know, created my business, formed an LLC, all the business stuff about three years ago. I started shooting CrossFit photography, surprisingly enough. Um, I go to a gym in Oklahoma City and a gym owner and his wife, then current girlfriend, were wanting someone to help um, take pictures. So I would just go to the gym and I would take pictures of athletes working. And so I didn't pose, obviously. I didn't direct athletes were working. And I knew just to stand back and not get in anybody's way. Because if you did, you're going to have a weight fall on your head or your body, or you're going, you're going to be injured. So I learned very early on to let things flow and just capture things as they progressed. Mm. And then from there, I moved on to family portraits. And then I found out about uh, documentary style photography. And uh, I really fell in love with Kristen Lewis's work on Creative Live. So I did a lot of that photographing and building up a portfolio. And the way I built my portfolio is by asking other photographer moms if I could shoot their families. And that way I could talk to them about photography, like a little bit of a mentoring, and then also give them portraits of their own kids because I knew they probably really didn't have it. They had pictures of other people's kids and not theirs. And so that's how I know a lot of photographer moms in my area. And they're super sweet. They're super nice. And they're really, it's more of a, community over competition um, situation where I'm in, which is really nice and really helpful. And then from there, I moved into boudoir. So I have that as a background, sports photography and documentary photography to help build my boudoir business and my boudoir photography style. Yeah. And what was it that actually drew you to boudoir photography? Because it's an interesting progression to go from sports to family to boudoir. 
And I mean, I, I've seen a little bit of your other family photography. What's most captured my attention is just the stunning and very unique work that you're bringing to the boudoir world. But what was it specifically about that genre that really drew you in? Well, I had a friend who used to shoot boudoir in Oklahoma City, and she offered one-on-one mentoring. And I thought to myself, honestly, just why not? You know, why not go and talk with her, sit with her and shoot with her and see how it is. And she actually had two models, um, a male and female model. And so my first day shooting boudoir, I did a male boudoir session. I did a regular boudoir session with a female and a couple's boudoir session. And I know most photographers don't get that experience. They usually just shoot for boudoir with women for a while, for a couple of either months or years and then start shooting couples, and then possibly maybe shoot men or not. But that's how I started from the beginning. So I don't have any hangups about shooting couples or men. That kind of freed me, I think, to explore more in that area and kind of get the pictures that I wanted because I was able to feel that kind of connection because I didn't have any, like, roadblock to even starting it. And so when I saw, like, couples, I mean, this, this couple had a really good connection, even though they were models. And I thought to myself, well, if they have a good connection as, as a models, how would it look if they were a real couple? You know, well, how would I see like the light in their eyes? Mm. You know, the, that connection there. And so I started shooting that. And like, I love shooting couples. I love shooting individuals as well. The thing about couples is you, you kind of get to see like where they are in their journey. And I thought I wanted to shoot weddings for a long time. It's my second shot for a little while. But then I realized that I just share the the couple with other people at their wedding and I didn't like that like I, I know it's your wedding day and it's really about you but I want it to be about me so with couples boudoir I get to spend you know either one and a half hours they should book a regular session or two to three hours just for the couple and that is like like the best part for me is like having them all to myself and what do you think it is uh, by the way and I know I've, I've already just kind of raved and, and gone on and on about your work. It's just stunning. Your, your couple's work in particular is really, it's, it's beautiful and it's intimate and it's raw. And I'm curious, you mentioned couples photography and kind of alluded to the, I guess, the innate uncomfortability with that specific genre of boudoir photography. Why do you think that is? Why are people, why, why is that not quite as commonplace as just boudoir photography with females? Well, I think people, you know, have been told, you know, relationships are private, keep that, you know, hidden behind closed doors, keep it to yourself. Yeah. And with, with like real couples, but like you see that, you see it on TV, but there's, a, those, are, those are actors. Those aren't like quote unquote real couples. And so I think people are like, you know, I, I want this to be private. I want this to be, you know, hidden, but I'm like, well, but why, you know, like it, mm. you don't have to be like, it doesn't have to be like all sexy lust couples boudoir like it's gonna go there but like just imagine a picture of him looking at you a certain way like that's and you love you love the way he looks at you but when you want to capture that in a picture in an album like and pull it out just to see like it doesn't have to be something like special like you don't have to do it for an anniversary you don't have to do it for like a some, like five-year anniversary or, or just some special date you can do it just because like you deserve this just because no limitations no no, 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 nothing holding you back. And so yeah. when couples see their picture and they, when they say, like, he always does that, or he, I love it when he does this, or, or she does this, or mm. I can't believe you guys, you know, did that. Or like, for example, um, 
I'll tell couples to get in positions, but I won't say what they are. So I'll say, okay, for snuggling, get in snuggle position number one. They look at me, like, what does that mean? I'm like, I'm not going to tell you what that means. You interpret it the way it means. And so I swear to goodness, it's a five-minute argument about how they snuggle. snuggle, <laughs> But they're putting their arm in the wrong place. But when they get into it, they're like, ah, oh, and then they relax. And I'm like, this is exactly what I wanted. Mm. Like, captured your bickering. Because they're not, they're not arguing bickering. Right. They're bickering loud. So I captured all of that. I captured, like, the relaxation into the snuggle. And this is, this is how you look like in a snuggle. And I'll say snuggle position number number two. Those couples have more than one position, you know. So I can say I can go on that way and capture all those moments. I'm not going to stop shooting for you get, get in position. I'm shooting for, while you're in getting into position. So I have all these images to choose from for you that you'll say that 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 is us. Wow. Well, and we're gonna again we're gonna get into the details of of your process here in just a bit. But I am curious. It just popped into my mind when you're talking about shooting throughout all of this, how many images would you normally capture in a session? Well, if it's a couple's in-home session, which are two to three hours, I can get a thousand to 1500 images easily. Okay. The reason that is, is I'm shooting through moments. I'm not posing you like you are moving around and doing things and I don't know what you're going to do. And because of that, I have to, to see like, estimate that I think a moment is happening, shoot through that and then stop and then do that again and again. If I, if I just posed you, you know, I could take a couple pictures, move around, but because I don't know what you're, exactly you're going to do or how you're going to do it, I have to shoot through those moments, which is kind of how I do that documentary self-photography is shooting through moments as well. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And then would you just call that down? Do you have a particular percentage of images that you then want to show to the client later on? Or does it just depend on the session? I show um, anywhere between 40 and 80 images to clients. So you're you're really calling that down heavily and giving them the best of the best of the best. It is. I'm not going to lie to you. It makes me cry. <laughs> but I have to... Like not because if you show too many images to a couple, they get just overwhelmed. And yeah. they're like they just have analysis paralysis. Right. So I don't want them to just freeze. But then I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Well, and I have to say, I, I'm glad that you you brought this up because I I think that we've gotten to this place, and it's been the case for a while now. I mean, digital photography enables us to be able to do this if we want. But we're delivering so many images to clients. I mean, photographers, wedding photographers in particular, are talking about delivering anywhere from probably an average now of about 1,000 to 1,500 images, or at least you hear that. It seems it's quite common. And people, most people probably don't even have the time to scroll through that many, much less see the, the standout imagery. I love that you're calling down so heavily so that they're not just seeing good images, they're seeing amazing images, the best of the best of the best. And to your point too, there is, I read a book not real long ago called The Paradox of Choice. And one of the things that's discussed in that book is the reality, which is that as much as we as human beings in modern you know, 2018 culture think that we like options, it actually tends to stress us out. And so minimizing the choices a little bit and giving the best in this case as a photographer, I think is a really, really great idea. And it's something that we could all learn for it, uh, learn from rather. It's a wonderful, wonderful reminder. I'm curious though, as a boudoir photographer, I mean, there are plenty of boudoir photographers out there. How do you set your business or your brand apart from others? What is your boudoir photography's uh, brand position? I think for me, I, I really want to focus on, um, 
connection with the client, building something about that trust and loyalty. Because I think that's, for me, how I want to be treated as a client. So I definitely want to focus on, on candids. Um, that's male boudoir as well. as And just I want to play regular boudoir because, you know, I feel women's focus, women's centered focus. And so kind of how I do it, I will email my price plus upfront to a client for the book so they know what the prices are. And then I um, have a pre-session um, Skype interview with them. And they, ask, they can ask any questions they want. I'm a, I have an open book. And then during the session as well, I'm like, you know, if I put you in a pose and you don't like it, then tell me. So I need to make this about you. Like I want to make, make, make pictures that are beautiful, but if you look miserable through this session, then you know, you're not going to trust me with these pictures. So, you know, relax laugh, have, you know, have a snack or whatever, drink some Sprite or whatever you want to do. <laughs> you can have a bunch of fun. Yeah. And also to, I have clients tell me like, you know, I'm, I'm awkward in front of the camera. I'm like, you're awkward from the camera because you think that I'm, someone's going to judge you. Interesting. But I'm the most awkward, unfiltered person you're ever going to meet. So, and they, they, they laugh at me like, oh, you're saying that. And then they get to my in-home studio and they realize, oh, she's crazy. And I'm like, <laughs> Once they realize that I'm crazy, they're like, oh, okay, I can relax because I'm the most normal person in this room. I'm going to rock this. And then they do, you know, I showed that to my camera once or twice and they like, that's me. I'm like, I did not run to the Photoshop real fast and Photoshop you, you know, yeah. like this is you right now. This is how you look with the light and everything. And like, my ass looks amazing. I'm like, yes, it does. Yes. <laughs> You're welcome. Yes, it does. And that's I awesome. will, I will slap my own booty. If it's a good picture. Yeah. I will. Just be like, you're disgusting. I hate you. No, I like you. Your picture's really good. And so I act like who I am. Like I don't try to hide like my personality. Hmm. And then I feel that that relaxes people and gets them like to realize that like this is not like, I mean, this is a business that I'm running, but I'm not here to pretend or to play or to act. And so that's kind of how I put myself out there to have like a, a proper professional business, then also a person who doesn't take themselves too seriously. I, I like that, though. I mean, when we're, when we're talking about the idea of trust, they have to feel comfortable. And, and those two ideas go hand in hand. But in order to create an environment where they can begin to trust you, the last thing that you need to do is to put on some show and be you know, overtly professional, right? Or formal. Right. I can do it for a couple of minutes. Then again, it just all things are all bets are off. <laughs> I No, I absolutely love that. You mentioned something, though, in, in passing, and I'm curious about this. If you are saying to the client, just kind of be yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And yet you are an artist and, and you may have particular ideas in mind for this client or just in general that you think look really beautiful. How do those two things coexist? How do you let the client be themselves and not kind of pose them too much or guide them too much and yet also maintain a sense or an environment that enables them to be themselves, to be natural? So I actually sent out a pre-session questionnaire that goes into detail about what they want to wear. Like, do they want to be more lacy? Do they want to be more relaxed? You know, and also like, what body parts do you love about yourself? What can we emphasize? What do you not love so much? So I have an idea already of what they want mm. going to session. And I kind of tailor my shoot to that because I want them to love their pictures. Like, if I want to be creative and just for myself, then I'll do a creative suit shoot for myself. But I you know where you're running a business to please clients. 
And so I don't want to shoot something that I'm going to love and then like and they're going to hate. So go, doing that note, going in is um, is one thing. And then I'll tell a client to like, if I want to make something, maybe try something new, I'll say to them, hey, I'm doing this a new thing. It could work. It could not work. I, I don't know if it's going to work or not. We're going to try it and we're going to see, like I'm, I'm going in blind just like you are. Let's just go in together. And clients are like, oh, okay. Well, if you say it that way, then I know that, you know, like you're being honest with me and trust and, you know, that, that way I can like play around with it too. So I can't say there's ever been any situation where clients been like, I hate this whole session. I mean, I'm sure it's going to happen. You just have clients like that. But for the most part, clients are willing to trust me and work with me. So they see my past work. They kind of see that, you know, I've asked questions and, and I'm going in such a way that, that their input has already been given. Just please don't ask to wear like your husband's jersey. That's one thing. I'm like, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't want you to wear his jersey. Please don't wear his jersey. Because at the end of the day, especially for women shooting for you know, male partners, they they want to wear things that please them. Sure. And I'm like, honey, if you wore a t-shirt and nothing else, he'd be pleased. Yeah. He'd be pleased if you wore bunny ears and like, you know, your bathrobe. Like he thinks you're freaking amazing. Hmm. I've never had a client cry or complain because their partner hated X, Y, and Z. So I tell them like, this shoot is for you. He is going to love whatever you do. Like if you want to wear something that, that like represent him, like a tie or a, or a hat or something like that, but just... I want you, your input and your voice to be in these pictures for you. So if you want to wear his jersey because you love his jersey, then yes, wear his jersey. But if not, then he's not going to be sad that you didn't wear his jersey. Does that make sense? No, it, it does. And uh, I think it helps set the tone, too, for the, the style, the look that I see on your website, that I see in your Instagram account. I, I, it, I'd be hard-pressed to imagine a jersey on your Instagram feed. I mean, just with the way that it looks, it's so it, it's kind of minimalist in nature, and it has a certain kind of, I guess, minimalist, really, a, a very minimalist feel to it. It's very, very raw. It's very, very clean. And, and yet dirty in the best ways possible uh, simultaneously. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely stunning. Now, I'm curious, though, I want to kind of dig into this, this process a little bit. You talked about the questionnaire. So you have an idea of what, they're, what they like, what they don't like about themselves. And then you said you do a Skype session after that. Is that right? Yes, to go over their questions, to dive a little deeper, see what they're, you know, if there's any more to uh, the questions and what they've written down. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it because when you actually get to have a conversation, they see your face and you see theirs. You can kind of read their body language and their eyes and their smile and their their responses a little bit more effectively. In that case, how long do those Skype sessions usually last? And do you ever end up in kind of uncomfortable situations that you have to work through? Not not yet. Knock on wood. Okay. Um, they last thirty to forty five minutes. Okay. Not much than that. Just because I've sent out a full session guide. That goes over everything and their questionnaire. And I've told them too, like, if you have any questions at any time, you can text me or email me and I'm happy to answer them. And I tell them I'm an open book. I don't want any, I don't want you to feel like you, you were surprised in any way. So, you know, I really emphasize like ask questions, use your voice. Here's your chance. And if you're ever surprised, know that uh, I will sh- shove information down your throat you know saying like <laughs> you have every chance to ask any question and i will tell you the answer but like i'm putting you in charge of that like you're in control of that if you don't ask me a question 
that I that I don't answer that I, I I can't help you. But I have created a session guide with so much information packed in there for you that I hope that 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 gives you much much of the answers that you do need. Well, and there's something, this has been a theme on the podcast as of late communication, the significance of communication, managing expectations. Uh, this is so, so important. We can't say enough about it. You think it would be the default for anyone doing business and especially photography, but it's just not the case. And it's amazing how going just the extra mile, when I say extra mile, I mean, spending an extra five minutes giving a little bit more information or putting together an even more detailed guide like you're talking about is so, so important for the sake of managing expectations and ultimately creating a more positive experience for your clients. So this is a good reminder again. Once that Skype session happens, then is the actual session the next step? Yes. Uh, I usually have it, have it about a week before the session. And so either anywhere between five to three days before the session is when I try to have this session, the Skype session. Okay. And that session itself, you, you talked about the time frame anywhere from about an hour and a half to three hours, depending on whether it's an individual or a couple. And at that session, when, when you go into a session, is there something in particular from the get go? I mean, many times I would assume this is the first time they're actually meeting you in person. So you kind of have to get through right. through that element of the inter- interaction. But now they're getting ready to strip down to almost nothing or maybe even nothing. Do you do something at that stage to create a little bit warmer an environment, more relaxing environment? Are you encouraging to bring drinks or are you turning music on? What does that scene look like at the very beginning? So on my questionnaire, I do ask what music they like to listen to. And I'm more confident. I'm very accommodating unless... Unless it's country or hardcore. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm sorry. I know this is really about you, but sometimes it's not. It's about me and we can't have that. And so <laughs> I, I, I love, I, I love the mind. subtlety of we can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time clients are willing to like, they say anything pretty much. And so like, there's a wide variety of music that's available. If they, if they say, I don't care, then sometimes I put, Spotify's top Mexican hit, top Mexican Mexican hits, because that stuff is banging. I don't know the words they're saying, but like I'm telling you, my clients doing some dancing. I do dancing shots as well, and yeah, people like just shake their booty. Yeah, just be wine, you know. Um, also have pictures I can actually post to uh, Facebook that are less bourgeois, more portrait. Sure, because at the end of the day, like picture picture you dancing in a bikini is is going to be okay to post. And so a lot of my lingerie outfits, I, I provide a lingerie closet. I have sizes ranging from extra small to 3X. And so a lot of them look like look like, um, like swimwear or bikinis. And so they can post that dancing. It's, it's not as suggestive and it's fun and they can do that. But so my sessions actually are anywhere from three to four hours total. Okay. The shooting portion about is an hour and a half minimum. So when they come into um, my studio, a makeup artist is there and they she spends about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes to do their makeup and she i do one person mainly and if, I, if she's not available i have backups but she is the makeup artist i believe over 10 years and her mother is a master esthetician so she's also a perfectionist as well so it's like two people who need everything to be perfect can, so that's why sessions can go a little bit longer than four hours i warn people like you're with two people who want you to look amazing so just be prepared and then also i tell people like wherever you go after this go somewhere go to arby's go to brahms go you are looking amazing you are feeling fabulous have a plan in place to go rock that look i don't want anyone else to like like you have to you can't hide this 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 fabulous that you're 
you look like after you leave. So have a plan in place. So I've had people say, we went to Brahms because it was late at night. And like, well, we went to Brahms. We went somewhere. I was like, good. Because, I mean, you look fierce. I need to see that. Well, and um, especially if it's a couple at that point, like the, the level of connection they're probably feeling, like the, the idea of going out together, they're just going to be totally lit up. That, that would be exactly. an amazing experience. Do you do makeup for the guys as well? No, I have not had any guys request makeup, but I will. I have no problem with that um, yeah. if they want. I actually have done a session with a, um, with a guy who wanted makeup, but it was not, it was a, it wasn't a client. It was a model, and he looked amazing because my makeup artist did the work, and he she she rocked it. And he looked fierce. So yeah, if guy wants make guys want makeup, they can have makeup done. So that's the first hour or so of of the so called session. But then does the shooting begin right after that, or is there kind of a next step before the shooting? Yes, shooting is after that. But we don't dive into. Um, I'll start with more of a more of a quote unquote modest piece. So I'll either put them put her in a dress, maybe. Okay. Or I'll put in in a more quote unquote modest bodysuit. Yeah. Kind of get get her relaxed a little bit for a first session for a for a female identified session. That's that's how I would do it. I like that, and 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 I'd like to even just the idea that I mean makeup for an hour. You get music playing in the background. Maybe there's a drink or two. There's conversation. They're acclimating to their new relationship with you, and it's helping kind of tone down the nerves in that time span, which probably beautifully leads into the session itself. Right, and they're also choosing what they want to wear from my closet. I I pulled I pull about I should pull like five pieces as a smart person, but realistically I could pull like 15 pieces for them to choose from. And then we spend an hour like, Ooh, Ooh, and I get really excited about stuff. And then my mind wanders and I'm like, like a little butterfly, get a brain in kind of put her back in her pocket. <laughs> do, do you, you mentioned your closet. Is this a traveling closet? Do you normally photograph in your own studio or are you traveling to photograph a lot? What does that look like? I photograph in my own studio. I have a, a in-home studio that I have that I use and realistically, like I tell people that I, I have two rooms in my studio that I use in my home that I use, but it's my entire house, like my living room, um, the guest bedroom, uh, my main shooting area, my kitchen. Like it's, it's, it's everything. Like really realistically, I have like one room for my study and one, my, my main bedroom, but everything else is just fair game for shooting. Oh, that's great. Now the actual f- photography itself, I'm thinking about communication and you alluded to this a little bit earlier I think to workshops, and I've, I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but I think about workshops where you, you'll see photographers photographing a model and doing so silently. All you hear is the click of the shutter. And of course, we all, or sh- we at least should know the significance of communication as we're photographing a client to help them make, or to help them feel comfortable, but particularly so in a boudoir session. So I'm curious, what does the conversation with the client sound like as you're photographing them? Well, I have like tips and advice that I give the client before a session starts. And so I'll explain like, you know, this shoot is for you. This is why I'm here. So if you feel uncomfortable, if you want to do something differently, we can do X, Y, and Z. And if I'm doing more of a quote unquote lifestyle shot where they, they're moving around, I can, I ask them questions while so they're talking to me. So if, I don't, if I don't need your mouth to look a certain way, you're, you're talking to me and I'm asking you questions like, you know, what do you do for fun? Where do you work? How many kids do you have? Just back and forth questions like that. If I do have them like just silence, and then I'm, I'm saying, are you breathing through your mouth right now? You know, deep breaths in and out. And, or like, 
I like to pose a direct eyes. So I tell a client, like, if you're not thinking about anything, then you're going to have dead eye. And you can have the most banging pose, like hot mess, deliciousness pose. But if your eyes are dead, it's not good. Hmm. So I'll tell them, like, what are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? You have something in your mind. Like, you know, take move your eyes to the left, move them to the right, look up, look down. Like, just... I'm posing the whole body, not just, you know, one particular piece. So also I tell my clients to like, I'm talking to myself and to you at the same time, you can just filter me out because sometimes I ramble. And so sometimes I'm just talking to them, filling up the airspace because I have a thought in my head, I want to get out. And they just, their eyes are usually laughing at me, which also helps to show with, with posing as well. So there's, Sometimes there is silence, but it doesn't last for very long because I get uncomfortable with silence. And so I'll fill it if I need to or if I, if I want to. But I can imagine, too, that silence can actually play in your favor. Like if there are certain moments, especially if you're photographing a couple where there's some tension, some really, really good tension, letting the silence just kind of hold that has got to be really impactful. So for couples, it's a little bit different than shooting an individual. So what I've just explained is how I shoot um, individuals. For couples, there is a lot of silence. I actually shoot with a Sony A7R three and a 35 millimeter, and I shoot on silent mode. And so I will tell a couple before a session, I'm shooting on silent mode. I am in the room with you. Don't forget that I am in the room. I will pose you and guide you. Sometimes I will go silent in a corner. I am in the room. And invariably, almost every time, Halfway through, I'm like, I am still in this room. I am in this room. I am in this room. So, yeah. yes, I have to remind couples. I am, I, I am here. I am here. I haven't left yet. <laughs> well, but props to you for creating an environment where they feel comfortable enough to, to get to this place where you have to remind them of that. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's brilliant. I, and I do want to go back very quickly to the point that you made about, I, I literally wrote the note down here in my notebook, pose the eyes and the significance of encouraging them to think about something because it does translate to the look in their eyes, especially when you're talking about intimate portraits like this. I think that is a powerful, powerful piece of advice that all of our listeners could take and apply to the various types of portrait photography that they do. I really, really love that. The other thing too, that I, I want to highlight here and get your take on is, is use of light and your use of light is varying. You know, you go to some photographers, Instagram accounts, for example, and you scroll through and it's, it's all, for example, light and airy, uh, or all dark and moody you have such a varying use of light and it's beautiful. And a lot of photographers might say they're quote natural light photographers. I love that you mix the use of natural light uh, with a, a flash or what looks like anyway, a flash of some kind a light of some kind. And the way that you're using natural light varies as well from a very directional window light to a flat light. Even I'm looking at a, at a picture of a couple here where their eyes are kind of dark, but what, what that lends to the image is a sense of realness and rawness. You seem extremely intentional with your use of light. And I'd love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about how you, A, learn to see the light, but then how you think about that or use that in sessions. So I don't use artificial light on my boudoir sessions right now. Other than I do use um, ring lights when I do uh, individual portraits, not necessarily for couples. I'm still learning um, about artificial lighting. I've been to 
a workshop on flash photography, so I should know more than I do. I wish I knew more, but um, and I'm just practicing on that right now. In terms of playing with light, that's still a process. I'm relatively new to that, that type of photography. I'm honest to, to say, I went to um, a boudoir camp in June of this past year called um, Camp Do More. It's hosted by Brianna and Owen Phelan. Phelan? I said that the name right, Phelan. And um, there were classes there on playing with natural light. And there was one by a photographer, I'm going to butcher his name. I feel horrible about this. I think it's Joam. No, I'm not going to say the last name. I'm going to butcher, butcher it. But he is a master at artificial light and playing around with it. And I can give you his name at the very end for people to um, get on his website. Yeah, for sure. We can get that and put that in the show notes. Um, that, that would yeah. be wonderful. Getting that his take on on light and help me to see, I think take my, my my photography to the next level in terms of my process. And so it's just playing with light and shadow and moving around and seeing how that works. I I would love to incorporate more like artificial light with couples, but I'm constantly moving with them, so I'm, I'm wondering how that would work. I'm not gonna lie, I'm 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 working on that, but I'm just trying to figure out how it would work because it's not it's not posing. It, or uh, at all with couples. Well, I wouldn't say at all, minimal posing. And so I don't know how that would work really. Well, if this is, if your use of light currently is you trying to figure things out, I, I mean, the idea that it's going to get better than this is, uh, again, kind of a mind boggling thought. It, it seems extremely intentional. And there is a combination of, as I mentioned earlier, directional light a lot of it is very, very, very subtle. And, and that subtlety is just stunning. I mean, some of these images, it's, it's what lends so much or part of what lends so much character to the images. So again, for those of you listening in, you've got to check out Ray's work. If you go to IntimateLensStudio.com, just like it sounds, and the same thing on Instagram, IntimateLensStudio, uh, you'll be able to see some beautiful examples of the way that that she is using light. And Ray, I mean, are you thinking about anything in particular as you're photographing a scene in the way that the light is hitting the subject? Are you are you photographing it in one way and then moving to a different angle because the light's hitting them differently at that point, and then moving them in front of a a window here, but then a little bit of a, um, a I guess a use of flat light, um, for lack of a better phrase, in, in a different scenario? What are you thinking through with regards to light during the session? I'm thinking about all the ways that I can use it and play with it. Um, so if it's a session with a couple, I will move them to different pockets of light. And so like if I did an in-home session, I'll walk around their house and see where the light is, I guess, the most directional. Um, also, window blinds are fun to play with as well for light and especially like um, contouring bodies um, and highlighting different parts of their bodies. And so I'll put in couples in front of, front of a window and moving around. Also too, I find that I'll, I'll go to a session, I'll come home and I'll say, if I had just moved one inch in one direction, I would have gotten my shot. So I'm conscious of that when I'm shooting shooting people to move around them in different ways so I don't ever go home and tell myself if I had moved one inch, I would have gotten that shot. So I'm definitely playing around with moving people around, um, sitting sitting down on the floors too, not just um, beds, but sitting on the floor. Like I shoot in a corner of my living room, it has a really good light. And so they're, they're on the floor, they are standing next to the wall, they are in a couch, just different, different areas and different ways to play with the light to see what can highlight and what I can shadow. 
Well, I have to say it's extremely inspirational. And even as you're describing that, I'm thinking about um, how I can use that technique or those techniques myself in my own photography. But I am curious about something here. And by the way, for those of you listening in, I, I just mentioned Ray's website, literally the first image that pops up on her homepage. Uh, Ray, you mentioned the use of, of blinds and the contouring light. It's just beautiful, beautiful image of a woman laying on a bed with that window or those windows in the background with the blinds. And I can't, I mean, it's, it's hard to find a more beautiful example of the use of subtle light for the sake of contouring a body. It's just really beautiful work, Ray, and I have to give you major, major props again. But your, your post-production is another point of conversation, too, because uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, the variety of use of light, the way that you're using light is really impressive. As I scroll through your feed, it doesn't all look the exact same. But that also holds true with post-production. And again, the tendency, I think, with a lot of photographers these days, uh, or it seems to be kind of the trend, is to have the exact same look. If you scroll through a feed, everything just kind of looks the same. Light and airy, dark and moody, uh, maybe the same type of lighting in most of the images that are posted. You have a wonderful, wonderful variety to your post-production work as well. And this is something, of course, that's very close to, to my world, uh, owning a post-production company. But I'm curious how you went about developing this editing style and what that looks like now. Well, um, I you know, learned Lyrum Project, like everybody else, um, mixture of creative live, well, I should say self-taught, YouTube videos, that kind of stuff. And so for me, the way I shoot, in particular couples is more of directing like a movie. And so I kind of want a, a little bit of a cinematic feel to my images more like, you know, this is a, a still of us capturing who we are in this moment. So that's kind of how I want my images to look. And so that, that's how I edit towards. And so I use, um, I've been through so many presets. It's been ridiculous. But I, right now <laughs> Settled on, once again, I'm probably going to butcher this name, um, the small presets by, I think it's Sven Malov. I'm sure there's a better way to pronounce it. I can give you the link to him the name as well. But I found that his colors and his the way he has set his presets are what I like to start with. And then I'll go in and adjust as needed. And so I'll edit a picture how I think that I want it. But then I'll close Lightroom and walk away and then come back like another day and and check it again and decide is this is really what how I wanted how I envisioned this is this how I see it and then I'll tweak it as needed like to the point where I like I'm going into the like the tone panel or like the the HSL panel and fixing the green from like negative twenty five to negative five like I'm very like particular on how I want my things to my my pictures to look I edit each session with a certain feeling in mind and so like I want like that that feeling to be highlighted with my images. And so it's kind of more of an emotional connection I have with images and, and how I think it should feel. And not, not, not just how it looks. Does that make sense? Well, I think so. And that would make sense to looking at these images and how they do have varying looks that you would process the images based on how that session felt, or maybe even how you what that relationship with the client looked like and, and how it felt as a result of the interaction with them. Uh, but the variety is wonderful. The The processing isn't over the top. 
which is wonderful as well. I mean, it, it's that is something that also happens these days, especially with, as you alluded to, the popularity of presets. There's so many different options out there, and there's no question that it is fun to play with presets. I enjoy it myself. But the flip right. side is it's also easy to get carried away with it. Even in that scenario that you described, which is, you know, coming back to the image and continuing to edit it and edit it some more, um, it is relatively simple to get to a place where you've over-processed the image to the extent that skin tones are so far distorted that it just looks yes. weird, that maybe even the whites or in the sky or the sheets or the the curtains or whatever it might be also mm-hmm. distorted. So I love that you have found a, a look or series of looks, really, but that you're not processing these images to the extent where they just they feel overly processed. And that's been something that I've just really loved about it as well. There is, you're not looking at the image thinking that somebody just snapped it, you know, with a, with their phone and just posted it online. It definitely looks processed, but not overly. So it's got so much character and, and just a raw feel to it. That is, it's just wonderful. And, you know, for, for the sake of not sounding like an absolute crazy person, um, I'll I'll stop the, (laughs) I'll stop the raving about your, your work here, but I, we have to make sure that we send our listeners to your website, to your social media. So just to reiterate one more time, do you mind sharing with our listeners where they can find your work online, where they can follow what you're doing? Yes. So my um, boudoir website for men, women, and couples is www.intimatelabstudio.com. And then my Instagram for boudoir is intimatelabstudio. That's perfect. And of course, we'll link to these in the show notes. If you go to bocapodcast.com, Uh, There is just a wealth of resources. Thanks again to Haley for all the work that she does and putting together the notes from these podcast episodes. But uh, if you go to bocapodcast.com and uh, just search ORE, O-R-E, you'll be able to pull up this episode and see the various resources for this particular episode. But ORE, I can't thank you enough for making time to to share with a, a massive, massive fan that you have in me and certainly with our listeners today and uh, for sharing not only your experience, but your advice and uh, what, what you're doing to create this beautiful work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really had a fun time talking with you. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. <laughs>